Hello everyone listening at home, welcome to the Highlander cast. We are the official podcast of the 7 Point Highlander format. I'm your first host, Sav, and with me as always is Vance. Hi, I forgot to respond. (laughs) That may or may not be edited out. So today we have, um, or actually I should just say, how how, how are you going? (laughs) That's things. I'm I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, yourself? Oh, that's good. Uh, I'm I'm back from an intensive uh, agashiku, so the karate training camp, uh, where we just train from six a.m. through to six p.m. and then talk about training in the evenings. So uh, oh, sounds like hell. Going, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> the I had I had an incident today of uh, going into a meeting, and it's it's pretty hot. I don't know how hot it is over where uh, you are in Canberra. But it's getting pretty hot down here, and yeah. I decided to roll my sleeves up and reveal a pile without realizing, because it's such a normal status. Reveal no, a, a reveal pile of welts and you know yeah. bruises all the way down my arms at a, at a meeting, and I got these weird looks. And it took me <laughs> it took me a good five minutes to realize why people were looking at me strangely. So <laughs> that's the usual uh, joy that you have after you come back from a from a training camp. Um, so. We do not need our... Well, I guess we do need our arms, don't we? We do not need our um, uh, fitness in its all its entirety in order to delve into Magic the Gathering. So let's switch our brains back on and our bodies off and let's talk about something very, very dear to Vance's heart. So the topic of the episode today is Zoo. Now, this is going to be a bit of a deep dive. We're also going to have a what's the point as well. But this deep dive is one that has been a long time coming. Uh, quite literally, 21st of August 2017 is my guess. Uh, no, it must be 18. Uh, it was last year. 2018. Last year. 2018, yeah. So it's been over a year. Uh, in the making. And I say that because we actually recorded this episode. This was actually scheduled as episode number 12. And yeah. <laughs> uh, due to technology and, uh, you know, files being up in, in the ether, in the literal cloud up there, and uh, the files did not end up panning out, or at least one of the files didn't end up panning out, uh, making for a very, very weird listen where you have, you know, two hosts and some blank space. So, Well, particularly because um, it was my file that didn't pan out and I'm likely to be doing most of the talking in this episode. <laughs> and, and the reason was, um, so this was the period last year where I was moving house and I... Yeah, so I either left my laptop on for long enough that it crashed or I accidentally closed it without realising I hadn't saved it. But one way or another, uh, my file, which was about 60% of the talking... <laughs> Stopped existing. Yeah. So we're going to do a, a, a redo, a do-over of the Zoo Deep Dive do-over. But, oh, that's a great episode name, isn't it? But the uh, there's going to be a little bit of a twist in there as well. We're going to also talk a little bit about what has changed for Zoo in general and for Vance in general playing Zoo uh, over the last year. So we do have some new content here. Uh, but before, before we go into that, let's talk... Well, it's new to everyone else. That's it's all true. new to everyone else. That's true. A bit of deja vu for <laughs> us, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about our what's the point first. Now, we this is a, a real staple point that we're going to talk about and one that obviously would have aired in episode 12. And it's only now that we realize opening these show notes from uh, one year ago that we've never actually done this what's the point. 
Potentially, but maybe someone will correct us. Uh, today, what's the point, is going to be Wasteland. So, Vance, can you give us a little bit of background about Wasteland, why it's a point, uh, and the context of Wasteland in uh, modern times as well? Yeah, so uh, Wasteland is, for anyone who doesn't know the text, it's a land that taps for colourless, or you can tap it and sacrifice it to destroy target non-basic land. So, like, it's a strip mine... This is a card that wasn't a point for a very long time. Um, it was in about 2014, 2013, I think. Um, not, I think it might have been the first committee meeting I was at um, that Isaac sat down and said, look, we have to point Wasteland. I know you all disagree with me, but I'm 100% sure it's right. Uh, you know, fight me IRL, essentially. And everyone's like, well, look, sometimes if, some, if one person is that certain about a change, then the rest of us can sit back and go, okay, well, we think you're wrong, but it's worth it's worth trying. And he definitely wasn't wrong. So Wasteland is a card that can just cause a reasonably large number of non-games, particularly in conjunction with um, cards like Life from the Loam and the, at the time we first recorded this, not printed Renan 6, um, where you just recur it every turn and your opponent doesn't get to have any non-basic lands ever again. It's really not very much fun to play against. It is an important card for certain archetypes like aggro decks to have access to this sort of thing because it is, when it's used quote-unquote fairly, it's fine. Like, if I'm playing an aggro deck and I wasteland you early in the game, it's not actually catastrophic most of the time. Like, there'll be some portion of games where you just lose straight up because you've kept a two-land hand and I destroy one of them and you don't draw your third land until turn four, um, which you otherwise would have been fine because you could have been casting a bunch of your two-mana spells. Um, and Wasteland will completely destroy you in some of those games. It's not too bad in that situation. It is very bad when it's being recurred, as I said earlier. So, yeah, it's a one-point card. It was, for a period, uh, the same number of points as Strip Mine. Um, that's recently changed back, so the Strip Mine's back at two, um, which I think is necessary because uh, fetching out basics in the face of things like Blood Moon and Back to Basics is a very important thing to let people do, um, and you want playing basics to be slightly more correct in those situations. Like, Stripmine still exists in the format, but at two points it'll see a bit less play. Yeah, and it's really interesting to note that there was a time when Wasteland was zero points and everyone thought it was okay. And the... the it, it was just in everything. Yeah, that's the, the, the cost of putting a zero-point Wasteland in your deck... Uh, i.e. the cost of having a colourless land, single colourless land, is so minuscule. And yeah. uh, you were noticing that, you know, control decks, just anyone and everyone was running a wasteland if their mana base could support it, and if in doubt, their mana base could support it. And that was just an unfun game state where your control opponent could just randomly cheese out a victory by wastelanding your land before you got an opportunity to do something. Yeah, wastelanding your land and just... Uh meaning you could sometimes you couldn't act for a couple of turns and they could just lock out control of the game. Um, and at that CanCon, so it was at CanCon we had the discussion at a CanCon, um, and when we got the deck lists, literally, oh, not quite literally, I think all but one or all but two people were either playing Wasteland or playing a combo deck. And the one or two people who weren't playing it were probably wrong. Yeah, you look at the list and you're like, what? why are you not running Wasteland in this? Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, that's a... Yeah, that's... Wasteland is, is probably better than your, you know, 37th spell. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Yeah. So that's the point of Wasteland. And 
uh, we're going to also switch over to a Patreon question of the week. So this is a Patreon question of the week from actually one year ago. <laughs> but <laughs> Sorry, <yeah>. patrons. <laughs> we, we, we got there. This particular question of the week was, how do you balance, how do each of you, as in for each of us, how do you balance your competitive nature versus wanting to play sweet decks, sweet brews, sweet cards, or zoo? <laughs> now, this was... This was a great little dig there at Vance, obviously. Uh, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I'm not not sure. Uh, <laughs> so it is a great deck. The, the subset of that is, is it all strictly a win percentage or would you play a slightly worse deck in an attempt to maximise your fun? And this is all in the context of, say, a first place winner mocks type tournament. So this is where high stakes exist. And I think that... The question is really the impetus for this episode, uh, not just because it's a dig advance, but also because uh, in general, people have a favorite deck. People have a sweet interaction or a sweet combination of cards or some kind of sweet synergies, and they still sleeve them up, even in the case of, hey, this is a really, really high stakes tournament. Should I knuckle down and play something, you know, marginally better than this, but this is such a sweet interaction, or should I just play to maximize my fun? Uh, I think from, from my perspective, it's generally easy when you find winning fun, because then you just play fun cards and actually good cards at the same time. Uh, now, I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because one of my favourite cards is Nahiri the Harbinger. And she is actually surprisingly good. I think people don't sleeve her up enough. Uh, but she is unashamedly one of my favourite cards. And sometimes I can't dissociate the power level of her alone going, hey, I can destroy an enchantment in my splash white uh, blue moon deck because she can exile an enchantment and she can exile creatures that have uh, five toughness that I wouldn't otherwise be able to kill with my lightning bolts. Um, and then she also just has maximum loyalty and just keeps going up and so on and so forth. Uh, and cool interactions with Amber Cool. But that, that is a kind of uh, a polarised <laughs> side of uh, another question whereby... Is it the case that people who sleeve up Nahiri are doing it because I say that it's really good, but in reality, it's actually just a slightly worse option for over some other, you know, four mana removal spell or something. Um, but anyway, for me, I find that uh, generally, you know, actually good cards tend to be a lot of fun for me to play with. I very rarely like to sleeve up cards that are woefully underpowered. So they do tend to come hand in hand uh, for me. Um, in general, Highlander is probably the best playground for any kind of cards like this. You know, the cards like, um, you know, in Legacy, where a deck might play occasionally a 60th uh, card. And yeah. that's just because that person goes, oh, you know, I love this thing. And in the past, that was like Hooting Mandrills. You know, in, in um, yeah. you know... Two, two, three years ago, people were going, oh, I'm going to sleeve up this one Hooting Mandrills alongside my Mongeese uh, in a Rug Tempo deck. 
And in Highlander, you get to play those cards and they're legitimately good contenders for actually good cards. So um, for me, I think Highlander is really the best of both worlds. You do get to uh, maximize your fun. You do get to play slightly worse cards in a vacuum and in other formats, but they're also going to give you a high win percentage. So what about you, Vance? I would just play the deck I want to play most of the time. At the time, my answer was I would just definitely play Zoo. Um, I think Highlander is not a strong enough or well enough defined format that you should overly stress the card choices or the archetype choices most of the time. There are definitely times when you should, particularly if you're really, really super keen to win, but Highlander is... um, you know, you'll have format. You'll have times and formats where people say, "Oh, you should just definitely play Grixis. It's the best deck by X amount." Blah blah blah. And I think most of the time, when people say that, they're wrong. There are definitely decks which, of the decks, there are definitely times where you're like, "Well, look, these people are playing this deck, and it's probably at least good." But I don't. I think the difference between the best deck of the day and a reasonably well thought out and designed deck, like not just you know. Uh, 59 lands in Oko or whatever. <laughs> um, if you've got a reasonably well thought out and designed deck, you're probably going to do at least okay um, most of the time. So what you're saying is no matter what we do, we can't take you off Zoo. Well, I mean, <laughs> I did eventually get taken off Zoo, but at the time, absolutely. What's the... And so the problem is, because this is a year later, I'm a little bit less passionate about this because I haven't been playing Zoo for the last year. It's um, Yeah, it's actually quite funny looking at this in, in a bit of hindsight, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, because yeah. what, what we actually had uh, planned at the time was an intervention. We were going to sit, <laughs> we're going to sit Vance down and we were going to say, you know, use it as a PSA to all of you listening at home. Do you have a teammate who refuses to cut that particular card or always plays a particular archetype in a meta that's completely hostile to it or insists on playing a two point, a tier 2.5 deck and says, but this is really competitive. What do you do? Um, that was our, our plan to do this kind of intervention with Vance. Um, from I'll give you the highlight of that intervention I mean, strategy. To, to be to, to be fair, uh, there are certainly people who have tried to have that intervention with me for playing red green. Um, so you know, <laughs> I am still quite stubborn. I think red green is sweet. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. But that, it's basically just the two of us that are on it, and then people going, "Oh, gruel moon is is that a thing?" Yeah, yeah, it's really sweet. <laughs> Um, so, so if you do have a friend like Vance who goes, this is the thing I want to play. So you can, you can approach it, uh, basically two different ways. You can go and demonstrate to them with some kind of, uh, I'm going to say objective data, but in reality, it's very, very hard to obtain objective data when your sample size is very small and you kind of end up in this fallacy of small numbers and so on. But you can demonstrate to them that it's the incorrect choice, i.e. you can give them data that says, look, this is what the metagame looks like. Therefore, what you're playing is very, very weak to it. Uh, It's probably not very competitive right now. Or you could demonstrate to them with data saying, this is the... This is a better way to build exactly what you want to do, but these particular cute cards are not giving you as much power level as these other cards in yep. their place and so on. So you could give them some data or you could use theory crafting and you can kind of sit there and talk with them about the role of, say, tempo in that metagame. And, uh, you know, I'm 
for example, I am obviously known for absolutely loving rug life, but I do not jam it in Adelaide uh, circa early 2019. I stopped playing it and I only started playing it again because the metagame was less hostile to it. Because yep. early 2019, it was just an absolute mid-range fest and that is rug life's worst matchup. So, and and, and it's could... the same with uh, some of the people who really, really love artifact decks. Um even though the metagame has been quite hostile to them for some time, but now it's starting to be less hostile and there's some new printings that help uh, and you're starting to see some people doing a bit better with them again. Yeah, exactly. So you could sit them down, you could chat with them about that, use theory crafting, and then say, how about we play a different deck for this time and then as the meta shifts, we go back to this or you theory craft something else and you say, okay, because the meta is hostile, uh, you could do what Drew Carter did with A.L. Drazi. He... He wanted to make a ramp deck that didn't just absolutely fold to things like, you know, Null Rod and all these things that were, you know, Shattering Spree and all the, all the stuff that was killing um, the artifact decks at the time. And then it ended up being robust from a theory perspective. Um, but that's only possible with an intervention where you kind of sit sit down and go, what, you know, why is it not working? How do we how do we work, you know, from the ground up to make it work or to play something else? And basically, you present those two argument, one of those two arguments, and either a they accept that that's the case, and everyone moves on, and it's just you know that's fine, or b uh, they continue to insist to play Zoo to Isaac's frustration, and. <laughs> None of your theories work. And so what you have to do in that in that case, you just have to embrace it. You can't you can't force your friend to uh, not play the thing that they enjoy playing. So in the spirit of embracing whatever it is that they want to play, uh, let's talk about zoo. We can't take Vance off the zoo train. It's not gonna work. <laughs> there, there is actually a, there is actually a third method um which is the one that isaac successfully used which is you play some matches with them with a even sweeter deck uh and hope they move to that um yeah nice that's the, the cheeky little way <laughs> that that's a meme, the way, right the way that's, the, f- that's the um you know the the uh the boyfriend looking over his galaxy brain yeah oh well, yeah the boyfriend <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um because it was um nats that year I sat down with Isaac and um, Isaac or Wanjin, possibly both of them, um, playing Wanjin's red black, controlly dragonsy sort of deck. And I'm like, that deck's sweet. I'm going to go home and build it, but I'm throwing out all the black cards. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Zoo in seven point one it. Now I haven't been on it for a while, um, but we can give a bit of history. Yeah, and I wanna, talk I'm, about why I'm why really interested as a. Um, a person who came into Highlander in 2014, I think it was 13 or 14, basically the junk era. Um, yep. That's that's when I started. And Zoo was still a thing. Zoo, Zoo had been powering on for ages. And I remember trawling over uh, these forum posts from ages and ages and ages ago yep. with all the different variations of Zoo, where it was Zoo Splash Black for Dark Confident, Zoo Splash yeah. Blue for, you know, the Bant Charm and all these other kind of random things. Yes. Tribal Flames and, yeah. Yep. So That was me. What, oh, that was you. Okay. <laughs> T- tell me what, what, how did Zoo start Where did and how did it evolve into what it is today? So, so Zoo, uh, which for anyone who is completely unfamiliar with it, Zoo is a deck 
designed around playing little creatures um lots of different kinds of creatures hence it being zoo uh, because the first in the very early days of magic uh in regular events there was a deck that was called zoo by i don't know some american group probably um because it was playing savannah lions and curd apes and serendipa freak you don't find many of freaks in a zoo but you know maybe they were going to weird zoos um (laughs) and and the name sort of stuck for any uh two or three color aggressive deck so um in highlander uh there were people playing it right from right from the beginning there were people playing uh, zoo style decks uh, i remember merlin evans playing something which, which was you know one savannah lion one kurt ape one serendipifreet and i have no idea what else but wow. uh, a pile of sweet jank that was when um it was a i think it was the five point system in canberra and moxes were one point each so i think he was playing like four moxes oh wow uh, <laughs> but the, for comparison, the things that he's casting with those Moxon, they oh, like were Burnham not Jim. good, right? <laughs> they were yeah. not good creatures. The, the, the power there was creep some, that we have There were some very good creatures, but there was a lot of... Like, the quality of one drops after Savannah Lion in that era, it drops off really sharply. Um, <laughs> like, because this was... When, when this was happening, this was before Jackal Pup was printed. So Savannah Lion might have been the only one mana 2-1 that existed. Um, yeah, and Jackal Pup was absolutely game-changing. That was... Oh, that yeah. got printed yeah. and it was suddenly Sly. Sly in, you know, um, what what has become Legacy, but at the time was probably uh, Type 1.5 or some... I don't know what they, yeah. what they called at the time. Uh, it was probably Type... It was probably actually so, Vintage at the time, but... So I, I started playing um, Zoo... Uh, I reckon it would have been when around when original Ravnica came out. Um, I remember having Dark Confident in my early builds. So my early builds were five colors zoo, where the black was Dark Confident. Uh, I might have had Vindicate in the sideboard. There might have been one or two other black cards, and the blue was Volcanic Island and nothing else because you just wanted the fifth color for Tribal Flames. Mm. Possibly I experimented with. Um, not Might of Alara, but the card that's exactly the same as Might of Alara. I don't remember the name of it. Um, Gaia's Might, maybe? Yeah, um, plus five, plus five, usually. Yeah, yeah, domain. plus four, plus four, or plus five, plus five. Yeah, yeah, yeah the domain pump spell. Um, and and I just sort of kept playing it and refining it from there. Um, I was on five colors for a fairly long time. It exported down to Melbourne where... The sort of primary engine of its change down there was uh, Carl Eyre, I believe, mm-hmm. who had a lot of success with it. I never loved his builds, but he did and the Melbourne uh, people did, and they had uh, a lot of uh, success with them. They, I, I was always much more on the plan of being sort of red as your primary color then green then white and they were very much white green and then red as a there was a period where um uh they had two burn spells in the deck lightning bolt and lightning helix and one of them was in the board Mm. and i thought they were crazy but you know they did quite well and they were playing a lot more um uh i can't remember whether chain to the rocks was printed but they probably would have played that if it was or um there's the various two mana things that O-Ring a creature um, were their sort of removal plans because a lot of people in Melbourne were on decks like Tinker 
um, and it was important to be able to get rid of giant monstrosities. Um, mm, remove the blight steel quickly and, and swing his, swing wide. Yeah, yes. um, and, and um, uh, Sphinx of the Steel Wind was one of the real problems for them ah, because nice. uh, protecting from red and green. So, you know, chaining that to a rock is uh, quite convenient. Um, but anyway, so it's been around for a fair old while. I eventually cut back to three colors and um, that's what I was on when I finished. It's what, be, it's what I'd be on if I was playing the deck today. Um, so, so the theory behind the deck is you play a lot of one drops uh, and your one drops you want essentially curd apes. Uh, so anything that's two power is worth considering, but you really want your baseline of creatures to be two threes if you meet some condition. Mm-hmm. Um, you want as many of that sort of creatures as you can. Um, so a bunch of those, uh, a bunch of burn spells, some two drops. Uh, I think I was playing, I'd have to have a look at the list, but sort of... A tin Street Hooligan, those types of just incidental... T- Tamagoyf- yeah, so so the, the two drops were things like uh, Tarmogorf and Scavenging Ooze, which were just good, um, and Voltaic Brawler, which, you know, are good beaters, and then some things like uh, Tin Street Hooligan and Corsali Pride Mage, which were not the best creatures in the world, but were incidental ways of dealing with things your opponent was trying to do. And then very few three drops. Um, I think there's either two or three in the deck at the moment, and for a long time, zero four drops, because um, you want to keep your curve... You just want to keep your curve really, really low um, because you don't want to be in a position where you've got a mulligan a hand if you can possibly avoid it because mulligans hurt decks like Zoo quite a bit because it's the accumulate. None of your cards individually are anything terribly impressive, um, but yeah. it's the accumulation of cards which all do just enough um, that gets you there. Um, but uh, my that's current a, build... That's a very good point about uh, mulligans, though. We might touch on that right now before we yep. um, leap into the other kind of comparisons of zoo decks and the like. The the change between our original episode airing, not not airing, and yeah. this episode airing is the London Mulligan. In terms of zoo or just aggro in general, uh, has that favoured zoo disproportionately more or less than other decks in Highlander? Definitely not more than most less than some probably about the same as most um the advantage is you get way more capable six card hands when you can put the third land on the bottom mm, yeah. um so it can often be a free mulligan if you're considering the fact that you'll basically never use that or don't you can play such that you de- never have to use a particular card yeah that's right um so because you're gonna end the game real quick right <laughs> That, that's right. You're going to win the game quick, quickly, and it means that if you do have, you know, one of your three drops that uh, is hard to cast, or one more land in you need, you can tuck that away. Um, Mulligan to five is still probably pretty rough on you, and so you're definitely not doing as well out of the London Mulligan as some of the combo decks do. Um, you're probably doing about as well as most of the control decks and mid range decks, I would guess. Yep, oh, um, that's fair. So you've talked about the the core of the deck. Uh, basically uh, yep. you know how it really ticks um we're just gonna uh maybe just touch on some little variations of zoo before we talk about uh all of zoo in context otherwise uh it would it would be a little bit out of order so uh you've you've mentioned a couple of other different things where you know splashing black splashing blue these types of things so from what i have uh looked at doing research on the forums uh i can see or technically fora right um 
<laughs> I can see that uh, there's what's affectionately called Dark Zoo, where you put this little black splash in to give you Dark Confidant and Deathrite Shaman. Uh, and then there's Blue Zoo, where you get a little bit of soft permission, like having the critical days at the right time. You know, back in the day, Bant Charm was a real powerhouse. It's probably dropped off by now. Um, but yeah. Brainstorm as well. It makes the deck, I guess, a little bit slower, but um, does give you a bit more tribal synergies, I guess, for, you know, the the whole hog, tribal zoo, where you have <laughs> the ability to fetch, like, uh, what, like, um, you know, a black red source and, a, you know, you probably know which two specific things, a volcanic island and a, you know, whatever, to try and get those two off-colour co- uh, colours in order to tribal flames of five and might of Alara, like you said. Uh, if you were to weigh up just those um actually no there's one more there's no, there's there's two more there's the slower zoo ones there's the um yeah. the the there's big zoo where you know you play things like brimaz and the other three drops elspeth knight errant that kind of stuff that one's a little bit outdated but it still puts in results it's actually um uh barb tapley has played it pretty consistently in adelaide yep um and she's she's uh loves zoo and she kind of alternates between the different versions of zoo and yep. big zoo's done better in adelaide because it's a mid-range meta so yep. you know you can kind of tango with them and then there's obviously that kind of clamp zoo where you uh have a stoneforge mystic you can't it's often a budgetary concern where you can't afford a mox so yep. you end up playing you know the skull clamp and then drawing a bunch of cards when people actually have to remove your critters and use them for burn spells so if you compared those five different breeds of zoo uh are there pros and cons to some are some strictly worse or some strictly better are there versions that you like to play more or are there versions that are more popular so i think um dark zoo so where you're just splashing like bob and maybe deathrite shaman uh, is probably strictly worse than Tribal Zoo. Uh, oh, I think okay. Tribal Flames, if you can get it working, is an incredible card. Um, and I think in that I would just be playing Bob and maybe Deathrite Charmin as well anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you've already got uh, a Badlands and maybe a Bayou, um, or you can have them in your deck fairly cheaply. And so... It's, it's a fetch mana base anyway, so you'll be able to cast Bob on turn two most of the time. And and the extra card drawing from um, that is really powerful. Blue Zoo, I think Blue Zoo is probably worse than um, just cutting one or two of the colors. Like, I, I, think, I think if I was playing uh, Blue Zoo, I would much rather cut probably the white and just play a three-color version or cut the green as well and play... Um, one of the various blue red decks like i think those are probably just more focused um and the kind of zoo deck that i'll be putting in the show notes which is my current build um i, I suspect just is much harder to adapt across to the blue version yeah i think blue zoo um, is probably kind of at the moment strictly worse than uh fringy bros which is just a jeskai aggro oh yeah that's gonna be another mm. yeah jeskai aggro would, would yeah. be another um Way because to go. Like I, it's got yeah. that kind of the blue core, and so the blue core makes it easier to daze when you need to. Whereas if you're dazing off your splash land, sometimes it can you just lead to very strange, yeah, situations. Yeah. So, yeah. but that's something that didn't um, actually exist uh, when we wrote up this particular episode deep dive. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's a new one. <laughs> um, Stoneforge Zoo, uh, I think, is mostly worse than Mox Zoo. Um, 
the the long game ability that Skullclamp gives you, which is what you're mostly getting out of this, um, is just not as good as being faster. Um, we will talk about the matchups in a minute, but I, I, that would be my view. Big Zoo, I think, um, has some definite plausibility at the moment. Like, there's an argument as to whether you're still playing Zoo at that point or whether you're just playing Naya mid range, but um, mm, you know, it, it depends on exactly what your composition of cards is, but. Yeah, adding in some of those uh, additional four drops does can help a bunch against the mid-range decks. Um, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of hard balance between finding uh, enough value out of the extra cards that it's worth doing, but not going so far that it's not worth playing your Kurt Apes anymore because you're just full bore mid-range. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some some power there, and in the meta we're in at the moment, which is very mid range, um, I think you do have to go a bit bigger uh, if you want to be zooming it up. All right, so um, if if that's the case, uh, this kind of maybe brings us back to more of a broad question because we've talked more about the nitty gritty of the different styles of yep. zoo and 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 the history of zoo and and what zoo is. Uh, so for the audience at home. Uh, I on their behalf, I'd like to ask you basically why why play zoo? Not not as a you know not antagonistically so <laughs> as Isaac. Might <laughs> why play zoo? You. Why why play zoo? But why you know what would what what drives someone to uh, sleeve this deck up if they haven't done so already and maybe might be thinking about it at home? Oh, um, yeah, so no what worries. would what would make you play zoo? Um, uh, what would make a man go neutral? No. Um, <laughs> Zoo is really good in a meta game with a lot of control decks and combo decks can be good um, and other aggro and tempo decks. So Zoo is... I'm talking about Mock Zoo specifically here. Um, Zoo is fast. Its creatures are relatively resilient. Like most of your creatures are two threes, so you tangle very well with the creatures of aggro decks. You tangle okay with some of the early drops that control decks are trying to play. Um, people often side in against pyroclasms against you, and they never should, um, mm-hmm. because I've seen plenty of people be like, "Oh, I had a pyroclasm, but uh, you had four two threes out." So. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, usually that's the pyroclasm often feels like it's a one for one removal. It's just killing. Yeah, a one for one, or occasionally a two for one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so against combo, it's not as fast. Like you can't kill on turn one. It's extremely difficult to kill on turn two, although it is technically possible. Um, and turn three you can do, but it's not that common. Turn four very common. Um, but what you can do is you can do a reasonable amount of damage on turn two and a lot of damage on turn three to the extent that uh, some combo decks just can't go off if they're on too low a life total. Like, if you're playing against Channel and you can get them down to six or seven life on turn three, which is not that hard, it's really difficult for them to go off um, mm-hmm. because they need a reasonable amount of life to start the engine going before they get that first Lich's Mirror trigger. Um and against uh, Storm, because I've obviously played this matchup against JP more than occasionally, <laughs> um, you often put them in a position where they have to go off before they want to because you might be able to kill them next turn. Uh, and 
they've got to do they've, they've got to go off awkwardly or they've got a Ristic Tutor into a position where or they want a Ristic Tutor into a position where you've got open mana or they've got a Doomsday themselves down to a low enough life total that uh, one of your burn spells can finish them off which you've been holding on to so you the way I've always tried to build Zoo is so that against a deck like Storm your good hands have a reasonable chance of racing their medium hands. Like, if they have a good hand, you've got no hope whatsoever. Yeah. If if they have a medium hand and you've got one of your really good hands, you might beat them in a race. And if they've got a slightly subpar hand, uh, you're going to beat them. So um, that's really powerful uh, and and something that I think, if you're trying to go the aggressive side, is, is definitely where you want to be sort of um, positioning yourself. Yeah, I think that the the on on paper look at over when you run your eyes over a zoo list, you go, oh, this just falls to combo. When you look at it, because it has no interaction, like stack interaction and the like. But the key is the way that you've built it is to put uh, a timer on your opponent. And that yeah. is the way that you're interacting with the combo. You're saying you must combo off by a particular time. Uh, in the same way that, say, you know, in legacy Delver decks, you know, are, are um, you know, pressure storm, for example. Um, the fact so, that you don't... sorry, just just two other things. Um, just in terms of like the speed. Uh, one other thing. Mm-hmm. So since since I've added Hazaret, um, and I haven't played it for a while, but I've had multiple occasions where on turn two Hazaret was in play, tapped and attacking. Wow. Um, and. Uh, unsurprisingly, those games are pretty easy to win from there. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I do think it's important to do in these kinds of aggro decks is you've got to give yourself some uh, resilient ways of pushing through the last points of damage. So uh, I know if Millie was here, as she was when we recorded this episode, she'd be agreeing with this, that against decks like uh, Grixis and Blue Black, you often get into a position where like, you deal... 15 points of damage pretty easily. 15 to 18 points of damage pretty easily um, once you take into account their lands. But you can struggle to push through those last few points of damage. So cards like uh, Grim Lavamancer, which I have ranted about at length before, (laughs) um, the extra burn spells the deck plays, and Cursed Scroll, Smuggler's Copter, Jit, these kinds of things, give you a way to close out games. So Cursed Scroll in particular is a card that like you often play it on turn one or two. You might not activate it for the first four or five turns of the game. Um, and then your opponent realizes that they might be on six, but you are 100% killing them in three turns from now. Mm. Um, that's not quite as good as it used to be now that cards like Colligan's Command are a commonly played main deck, but it's still very um, good. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, I really like the um, the way that you've kind of pushed an archetype into uh it's the best it can be in a particular wheelhouse you know you've you've not you the temptation of looking at zoo is oh but i'd really like to add this you know uh, i'd really like to add this four drop and then you i'd really like to add chandra torture defiance yeah exactly you look at it and you're like this deck just wants chandra chandra just just would you know this is its home and it actually weakens the deck so uh knowing how to uh uh play and uh, modify and evolve an archetype in uh from the ground up is really really important for it to be good 
you know. So um, I like how you've uh, outlined those details. I know you were talking about speed being its strength and yep. the being on the receiving end of an opener when they go turn one, curd ape, turn two, uh, two drop. And then you're just going, yeah, the fine. You're, I'll just yeah. mid-range over the top of you, or I'll, you know, I'll just remove your creatures one for one if I'm playing control, or I'll temp, I'll turn my delver sideways, and then I'll counter some removal spell or something else that actually means something, or bounce, you know, submerge a creature, whatever it is. But when I, whenever I'm playing that, I'm looking, I'm looking at Zoo, and I'm just like, I'm not afraid of you. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I, I laugh in your face. I'm not going to play. Uh, I'm not going to care. But when you play a mox. When you go, when you're sitting across the table from your opponent who goes turn one land mox two 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 one drops, and then the following turn a one drop and a two drop or something much much worse than that, uh, yeah. that is like that is one of the scariest starts, and I believe it's one of the things that people underestimate a lot when they look at a list and they kind of go, oh, you're just playing the mox because you have three points to spare. It's not at all like that, and the the um, uh, reason for sleeving up, you know, six points worth of Moxon is specifically for the ability to consistently be ahead of your opponent by one turn. And one turn is a whole lot of time in the yeah. context of Zoo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. We've, we've kind of talked about, you know, pushing uh, all of these advantages of, of Zoo. We've kind of delved into its strengths, uh, we've delved into uh, the the power that it can bring to the table against certain matchups. What's the weakness of Zoo? The biggest weakness of Zoo is, well, it's kind of twofold. There was one last year, but there's an extra one I'm going to add now. Um, the, the biggest weakness is mid-range decks, especially mid-range green decks. So their creature quality is through the roof. Uh, it's very easy for them it, it's not like control decks where you get them down to six and they probably stay there. You get these decks mm. down to six and they're like, cool, I'm going to play a Thrag Tusk and a Kitchen Finx and the game's just over. How much of a nightmare um, is Corsa of Crufix for you? Like turn one mana yeah. door, turn two Corsa of Crufix and you're like, I don't think I can win through this two four that gains you a life a turn. <laughs> you can, but it's hard. <laughs> those, those are the sorts of decks and the sorts of matchups that unfortunately are quite uh, common at the moment. And they can be very, very hard for Zoo to beat. Like, you've absolutely got hands that can beat them. Um, most of those hands involve at least one Mox and probably a Tucker's Command. Uh, a Tucker's Command is... Um, never cut it. You're just wrong mm. if you're cutting it. Um, but anyway. Um, so yeah, mid-range green decks are pretty miserable to play against. Um, the other category of problem it has at the moment is... 2019 has been a bit of a year of power creep and a lot of that power has gone into you know three cost planeswalkers and 2019 lots of powerful cards um yeah in, com in comparison I, I don't or, think zoo's got very many of them yeah in comparison with 2019 all of these powerful cards really really good in control really good in mid-range especially mid-range uh and you got like hex drinker but hex drinker is awesome but yeah. you I mean, get one there card. Are, and... There are a bunch of cards that... Um, so just before we recorded, I went through the last sort of year's worth of cards that cost three or less and a red, green, or white. Um, 
and I've made a bit of a list of some things that are worth considering. Um, there's a couple of slam dunks, but overall, Zoo has been helped a lot less than a bunch of other decks, I think. Mm. Yeah. So I guess those are the weaknesses. If you're if you're in a mid range meta game uh, in your city, then maybe don't sleeve up Zoo. But if you aren't, then it's well worth sleeving up and just experimenting. Even if you don't own the Moxes, Moxen, you know, proxy them up, play with some friends, or play in a, a an unsanctioned tournament and just uh, realize the power when you when you play it. It's really really sweet. Now. We've talked also about variants of Zoo. What we haven't talked about is our, our last topic. Uh, what is, what's the difference, you know, strengths, weaknesses, uh, flavor? What are the differences between Zoo and non-Zoo-based aggro decks? And we have uh, three different... Is One of these really isn't a thing anymore uh so this is let's update this uh so so we've got three decks to compare to uh first of all we have uh jund zoo as you as you call it what's the yep. uh the differences between uh the naya zoo and jund zoo and and strengths and weaknesses so Junzu is um, Junzu is actually quite similar to the next deck we're going to talk about. So I'm going to talk about them both at the same time, which is okay. uh, Red Black uh, Neiman Burn. So Junzu Red Black Neiman Burn is a deck which is uh, a very aggressive deck. It features all of the reanimatable black one drops, so your Grave Crawlers and um, Dread Wanderers and, and what have you. Um, and is seeking to it's it's fairly fast not quite as fast as zoo but it's just seeking to be it's much grindier mm-hmm. um so against control decks you get a huge pile of advantage <laughs> weird noises yep. on your end that's uh, <laughs> that's my dog <laughs> you get a huge pile of advantages because uh if they're not playing white so they don't have exile spells they just basically can't ever kill any of your cards um mm. so you're quite resilient. I mean, you're much, you're even more resilient, um, and, and you get to grind them out that way. And Junzu is basically the same, but you're also playing um, Kurt Ape and Tamagoyf and a couple of other green cards. When you face um, the two decks against each other, isn't it interesting to see how the uh, Neiman Burn Red Black or the the black creatures? You know, all these uh, two ones and two twos that return from the graveyard give you this constant source of. Uh, pressure slash clamp yep. fodder slash sack fodder, whatever it might be. Uh, when they heads up compared to Curd Ape, <laughs> they're actually yeah. just stonewalled. Absolutely stonewalled. Yeah, yeah so, so Nayazu is moderately favoured against these decks. And these decks, I think, are really good in heavy control metas. Um, they're Potentially slightly better, I suspect, against some versions of mid-range decks because you've got options for things like uh, Duress and Thoughtseize, which can take out some of the Planeswalkers and late-game bomb spells. Um, And also, you've got slightly better... uh, You know, you've got Terminates and Fatal Pushes and whatever, which take out the bigger creatures, which um, the non-black decks have some difficulty with. Mm. Yep, that makes sense. The third... Um, Yep. Oh, the third the third deck that we're going to compare uh, Zoo to is Fringy Bros. Fringy Bros is a uh, a deck that was uh, 
you know, only really this year kind of made its breakout appearance. And, or maybe it was end of last year, whatever it was, uh, basically <laughs> within the last year, within when we recorded this episode, uh, Drew Carter built that deck as an aggro deck from the ground up. He kind of identified the weaknesses of aggro and started to put in all these cards to kind of shore up the weaknesses of aggro, like flooding out and all of these things. And the when you zoom out and look at the individual cards, they are so fringy. It's <laughs> fringe playable, fringe playable, you wharf infiltrator, uh, you know, what are you, what are you playing? You know, really, really weird, weird cards. But then when they all come together uh, in a list and you play them, and I've had the the joy of seeing it in action and the displeasure of losing to it continuously, uh, it's basically um, the aggro deck of choice for 2019 uh, and has won a number of tournaments, not just in Adelaide um, and not just in Drew Carter's hands. So the the crux of the deck is uh, Jeskai, and um, we'll just link you to a deck tech because I won't do it any justice, but basically <laughs> it, it you know leverages... Uh, wasteland strip mine and uses ancestral recall because uh, fundamentally ancestral recall is an aggro card hot take uh, because if you control you want to be playing dig through time and treasure cruise but ancestral recall is an aggro card you want to play it early in the game and you want to play it often if you're flashing it back with yep. jace friends prodigy and the like so comparing the two i guess the advantage of fringy bros is the soft mission you know days yep. spell pierce you know, it, I think it only runs like three or four counter spells, and they're very, very, you know, marginal. You know, just count soft permission. You know, literally pay one more. <laughs> that that type of that type of counter spell, but it's probably enough to give it that edge over Zoo against combo. Is that where it's where its um, advantage lies? Yeah. So you don't have to be trying to beat combo on speed. And slightly worse at it than they are. Um, so there's a lot of advantage in being able to just early in the turn where Storm is trying to go off, you can uh, force spike their Lotus or something mm-hmm. before they've generated all their mana. Um, I suspect it's probably a little bit worse in the aggro and tempo mirrors because the creature quality is a bit lower. Yeah, I, that's Drew Carter's mentioned that a number of times where yeah. the power level of the green creatures uh, like Tarmogoyf are just... You just can't compare them in white, uh, in um, uh, other colours. But basically, yeah. you don't have that replacement to drop that Tarmogoyf gives you consistently played on turn two. No no restrictions. You don't have to delve anything. There's there's nothing yeah. there. You just play this thing on it turn just turns two up. and it's going to be big. And, you know, he experimented with things like Jotun Grunt and the like, you know, just 4-4, 2-drop. And he's like, yeah, it's just, it's not a Tarmogoyf, you know. <laughs> it's, it's a bit too fringy. Yeah, too too fringy. Uh, go tell, go go spam Drew Carter and say, I think I found a card that's too fringy for you. I bet you he'll, he'll find a way to make it. You know, he'll tell you where it's good, you know. Where, or he already thought of it. That's right. He's already thought. He's like, Yotun Grunt, no, no worries. This is the best sideboard card against this particular combo matchup. And yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how Zoo lines up against other aggro decks. So if in at home you've been looking at sleeving up an aggro deck and you've been experimenting with Fringy Bros or, or Red Blackburn or Jun Zoo and Zoo hasn't been on your radar, hopefully this episode has 
uh, popped Zoo on that radar made you think maybe maybe it's a contender. Maybe it's something I do actually want to sleeve up. Uh, given that one year has passed since our <laughs> original non-aired episode and this one, what has changed in terms of printings and, and the like that has uh, either potentially buffed up Zoo or given people more of a reason to sleeve it up? There's actually a pile of cards. So as I said earlier, I went through sort of all of the relevant possible cards. I had a quick skim through. And I'd need to spend a good couple of hours sort of going through and testing and looking at exactly what might be cuttable. Mm. Um, so you've got uh, Bone Crusher Giant is a shoe-in. Uh, card's great. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Because you always want slightly more uh, burn in the deck, so it's basically a burn spell that kills Tamago uh, that kills um, True Name Nemesis, um, peripherally. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really good. Uh, and Veil of Summer obviously goes in the board, and Deafening Silence almost certainly goes in the board. Mm-hmm. Um, as an and- as an aggro player, I, this is another little quiz for you. Um, as an aggro player. You know, Veil of Summer, people often look at it as this, hey, I protect my combo. That's that's basically what it's what it's doing. Um, aside from just bringing it in against the no-brainer uh, Grixis matchup, because, hey, pr- giving Hexproof from blue and black is yeah. great. It just doesn't dodge Lightning Bolt and Chain Lightning. That's about it. Uh, where else would you bring it in and, and, and how would you use it? I mean, it's really good against a lot of the combo decks because... You get to have them spend all that time going off, potentially exiling a bunch of things, and then they can't tendrils you anymore. Nice. Because um, you yourself have Hexproof from black. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's really good against the control decks. There's probably some of the tempo decks where I'd consider bringing it in. Um, like at the moment, I've got uh, Reb and Pyroblast in the board, and I don't think it replaces either of them. And there are some matchups where you bring in them and you don't bring in this, but basically it's just... It's your third Pyroblast that is really also very good against tendrils. I think your blowout is actually in those uh, fair matchups where they submerge something of yours. Oh. And <laughs> oh, and you veil of summer. Oh man, that yeah. that's a beating. <laughs> yeah. Um so then there's a bunch of maybes. So Hex Drinker is probably at the top of the maybes. It probably makes it in uh, over Kithion. Um mm-hmm. Elvish Reclaim is another one drop that I'd want to play with a bit but is probably pretty good. Um, I'm not going to read the text of these. Go look them up if you want to know what they are. Um, They're all fringy. So, that's what you're saying. Okay, <laughs> They're fringy no, enough no. that you have to look up Look up the... Uh, <laughs> Most of them you should know, but some of them are a bit fringy. So in, in the aggressive two drops, um, Boros Challenger might be good. Wildborn Preserver might be good. Orcish Hellraiser and Ruination Rioter. That, that was well, just an ellipsis right there. That was an ellipsis from me. I just put in three dots as I'm like... Yep, I know that card. I know. Th- I have no idea what that is. Ruination <laughs> Rioter is uh, it's a red and a green for a 2-2 that when it dies, you get to dome any target equal to the number of lands in your graveyard. Right. So it'll often it'll often deal three or four to something when it dies. Okay. Um, oh, cool. No, it's that, probably, that, it's, that seems it's probably not good enough. But, you know. Um, Goblin Crater Maker might be good enough in the board in some uh, metas. Uh, Hushbringer, I'd look at further board. Uh, Domri, Anarch of Bolas. Uh, yeah, that's an exciting not... one, isn't it? It's a three drop, but uh, it yeah, probably also drop. deals three or four damage the turn you play it because it buffs mm. all your creatures. So it's definitely worth a look in. Um, and the other one which would require a bunch of investigation is uh, Renan Six. So Renan mm. Six 
is probably not good enough just in the mode of occasionally deal something one and uh, occasionally get back a fetch land to get the fourth land that you don't want anyway. Um, but there's definitely a potential for a version of Zoo which is playing one Mox and is playing a Wasteland and a Strip Mine um, and playing Red and Six. So Yeah, I can definitely um, see that. I can definitely that, see that's that potential. a definite possibility. Um, and, and a couple of others, which I looked at, but which are probably not good enough. Um, Barkhide Troll, which is a 3-3, and you can make it a 2-2 to give it Hexproof once. Um, Fry, mm. I just don't think is interesting enough. Fry, uh, the card, not the person. That's a bit rude, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Wait, then some things you're, like, you're interesting. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> then there's some things like uh, Pelt Collector, Giver of Runes, that sort of thing, which I think are just inferior versions of cards that I've already cut previously. Yeah, that's fair. And when you're so intimately familiar with cards that are on the chopping room floor, you, how, how often do people come up to you at a convention or something and they go, oh, have you tried this in Zoo? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's not good. But but it seems so good. Yeah, it's not good, though. And you have or, to kind you know, of go through explaining why. Did, did not even consider it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, the line I, I have for two drops. Um, so for one drops... Anything with two power and text is worth looking at. Mm -hmm. um, for two drops, Watchwolf is my line for this card is definitely not good enough. Um, so if it's not as good as Watchwolf, don't even talk about it. Um, yep. If it's Watchwolf Plus, it's probably not quite good enough. So like um, the the Watchwolf with Monstrous, the name of which yeah, Fleece Fleecemane Lion. Fleecemane Lion mm. um, is probably good enough in in some slightly chunkier builds but not quite good enough in the more aggressive ones and then cards that are better than that are, are worth a good conversation um so that that's kind of where i lie on those it's really good to get that uh, insider information about what you consider the threshold what you consider that cutoff where you just go just don't even consider it because when you talk to drew carter about fringy bros when he's say when you go and suggest why isn't this card in he's like one toughness that's his cutoff yeah. if it's got one toughness it's got to be so amazing because the vulnerability of one toughness in the meta you know you just mentioned Ren and six there's yeah. so many things that hurt one toughness that uh, he just doesn't consider them you know yeah. or he's, he's oh, tried it and he just doesn't want to get he does not want to get electrolyzed you know and and for cards that cost three or more uh, it's pretty close to haste or GTFO. Like, mm. um, I'm playing Burning Tree Shaman at the moment, which I probably shouldn't be, but I kind of love it. Uh, so it, it's it's my fringe card in my fringe deck. Nice. Um, it does a lot of useful stuff, but, you know, like, for, for a card to cost three or more and not have haste and make the deck, it's got to be just ridiculously good when it's good. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's nothing you want to do, is nothing, nothing less you want to have then top deck this card and you just go, I've lost the game because this thing just doesn't have haste or I can't cast it right now or, you know, I wish this was a one drop or, you know, which I'm, I assume is, or I wish this is a burn spell. I assume that's a very common feeling. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Zoo. Um, and yeah, I think I'm playing, uh, again, I'd have to double check, but I'm, I'm playing like seven like dedicated burn spells or something. Um, and you can't afford to cut very many of them because... I mean, that very thing you were saying, that when you get into those situations where your opponent's trying to stabilize, you want to be able to have every card off the top be potentially lethal, mm -hmm. if you can possibly manage it. And immediately lethal. That's so true. I, I know that feeling with Rug Life where uh, I 
when when people go, oh, I wanna I wanna put this card in. We should we should add the royal scions or something, and they go, oh, we'll just cut we'll just cut this incendiary flow. And I'm like, doesn't matter what is in that incendiary flow slot, whether it's yeah. a you know a one that exiles or whether it's you know one that deals damage to a creature in the face and you know has some other kind of benefit. I don't care what you play, as long as it hits someone's face, it's in the burn slot and it can't be cut. Once yeah. you once you take it out, you're just going to become a bad mid range deck. You know, it's a slippery slope. You just keep cutting, and you that'll happen in zoo, right? You just keep. Oh, but it, I'll just take out that. You know, the worst burn spell to put this card in. You go, oh, you're just going to lose more games than you win for having this spicy new card in it. Hopefully, this episode has brought you uh, enough inspiration for you to explore zoo. Uh, Chuck it into your gauntlet of decks that you might want to try or decks that you give to new players when people will rock up at your store and at your local, they want to just start, they see you jamming Highlander and you've got a spare deck, hand them Zoo. Hand them Zoo with a proxied proxied, um, uh, Tiger, Savannah, you know, the three dual lands and the proxied Mox. The rest of the deck is probably relatively cheap. So uh, it's great to have a Zoo deck on hand, uh, if not for yourself, for someone else. So... That brings us to the end of episode not 12. Hashtag not, not missing episode. Uh, and we'll do our outro. Well, so I, I, I think uh, I think it's going to be episode 42 because Zoo is, of course, the meaning of life. Nice. <laughs> Vance, Vance brought it back full circle. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, especially joining Vance on his merry-go-round roller coaster ride of Zoo. Fun. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at HighlanderCast. Really easy, consistent branding. Shoot us questions there. Give us any feedback. We'll be able to direct uh, answer you directly there. And you can also follow Vance individually if you also have a love of Zoo. Please spam him at Vancey and Notions. Uh, you can also join our Patreon as well. Uh, the patrons there get patron questions of the week. Although we might not answer them until 30 episodes later, we still <laughs> will attempt to answer patron questions in a far more timely manner when they don't go missing. Uh, if you'd like to get more involved in the Seven Point Highlander community in general, you can go check out ozeternal.com. You can also search Seven Point Highlander on Facebook, and you can also check out our Discord, which is linked in the show notes, so I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find us. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you for joining us on a deep dive into Zoo. Thanks for listening. Um, GP Brisbane probably a week or so from now. I uh, hope to see you there, and then at CanCon in January. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.